Good morning, everybody. This is the Marcus Today Members Podcast on Tuesday, 23rd of January, and it's all going rather well. We had a 55-point bounce in the market yesterday and another 50-point bounce, 53-point bounce in the market today, sitting on our highs in the middle of the day here. Led by banks, you might note the CBA, ANZ and NAB have just hit 52-week highs Happy about that. Our income portfolio has a 15% holding in the CBA and holds ANZ and NAB as well as Westpac. Financials leading the way. Also, Macquarie up 2.4% today. As the market goes up, Macquarie goes up. We are in cash in the Macquarie one-stock portfolio at the moment. Now thinking about whether we've done the right thing. BHP, we're also in cash in the one-stock portfolio in BHP. Resources are lagging the market at the moment. BHP up 0.9% today. Rio down 0.4%. Morgan Stanley downgraded their target price in the UK overnight. If you look at the chart of BHP, there is clearly a buying opportunity coming in BHP. Have a look at the trading section today and you'll see in the short term, the stock has come off from $51 down to $45 and is still heading lower. If it was to hit support, it would hit support around $44, a bit lower than this, maybe $40, $42 is the most recent low in May last year. All these commodity stocks are long duration trading stocks. BHP's come off pretty sharply. So getting ready to exploit a bounce. But at the moment, you might also notice in my section today, the chart of the Hang Seng, Hong Kong market, and the chart of the Chinese stock market. Chinese stock market at a five-year low. Hong Kong stock market at a 14-month low. And it only has to drop a tiny weeny little bit to be at a decade low. There are foreign outflows and increased short selling in the Hong Kong market and the Chinese market. You sort of wonder what those stock market trends are telling us. Either way, it's not the best backdrop for our resources. I wonder, could it be something to do with Trump? Trump was, when he was president, an isolationist, took on Chinese trade policies with the U.S., tried to level the playing field and maybe their markets are responding to that possibility. Either way, as I say, not the best backdrop for resources. So happy to be in cash in the BHP one stock portfolio at the moment, looking for the moment to buy. And at this point in time, wondering whether this market rally is going to extend or not, and whether we should be getting back into stock market stocks. Have a look what ASX has been doing recently and Macquarie having hit resistance at 185 has powered through that level today, 188. So back in uptrend. Do we chase? We haven't done today. Otherwise, for the strategy portfolio, everything good. NASDAQ hits a 52-week high, still 5.6% from its record high, and the S&P 500 and and the Dow Jones on all-time highs. S&P 500 back to where it was two years ago. So despite the wobble in the markets, Early this year, as bond yields rose, bond yields came off a little bit overnight. The markets are getting the bit between the teeth again. Good for strategy. We're fully invested in the strategy portfolio. We are obviously a bit light on in the ideas portfolio, considering what's happening today and yesterday. But no reason to be changing anything in the strategy portfolio. We do have 10% cash at the moment in the strategy portfolio, having sold the REITs ETF last week. So we have 10% to deploy 
and we will need to if the market is going up. I think the driver for the US market is clearly going to be the results season coming out of the US over the next couple of weeks. I have put the major results in a table in my section today. On Wednesday, we've got Tesla results. Morgan Stanley warned last night that global electric vehicle momentum is stalling. Not good news for the lithium price, of course. Tesla quarterlies on Wednesday. We also have this week Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, Netflix, Visa, Intel, Caterpillar, Amex. And next week, we've got Microsoft Alphabet on Tuesday and AMD, General Motors, UPS, MasterCard, Boeing, Apple and Amazon on Thursday, Merck, ExxonMobil, Chevron next week. The recent rally or the rally this week in the U.S., market. Just remember last week we were doom and glooming and then suddenly big tech took off after a TSMC earnings upgrade or guidance upgrade last week and there was an upgrade in Apple from Bank of America and that washed across big tech and AI. Up until last Friday it was all doom and gloom so suddenly in three days we're super bulls on big tech. Well I'm just wondering whether this is a trap or the beginning of a new rally. I am getting left behind for a couple of days. Let's see if that extends or not. Haven't done anything yet, but as I say, we're still catching it all in a fully invested, almost fully invested strategy portfolio, a fully invested income portfolio, and fully invested growth portfolio. Just on the income and growth portfolios, not much to note today, but... 52-week highs in the growth portfolio for Data3, Cochlear. Cochlear was such an easy buy, wasn't it? CBA last year, Altium, PME, NextDC, very close to a high, REA, very close to a high, Goodman Group, close to a high, Fortescue, close to a high. It's all looking pretty good. As I say, a buying opportunity for the portfolio is probably coming in BHP at some point. In the income portfolio, CBA, ANZ, NAB, Wes Farmers on 52-week highs, and a a lot of the other holdings within a whisker of their highs as well, including Suncorp, Smart Group, Medibank, JB Hi-Fi, IAG, Fortescue Metals. We're going to have a look at Perpetual, Sonic Healthcare and Challenger, all of which we are losing money on in the income portfolio at the moment, see whether we should be holding them. Income portfolios don't trade a lot, but we are looking to reduce the number of income stocks and to up weight the, in particular, banks. But for the moment, very happy just to be holding with the market going up. I've got a chart in the strategy piece today of earnings growth expectations over the next five quarters out of the US. This results season they're in at the moment. Earnings growth expected to be 4.5%. Next quarter, 6.6%. Next quarter, 108 This is solid stuff. Third quarter, back to 82 but fourth quarter, 17.9% expected quarterly earnings growth year on year. That, of course, it helps when the previous quarter wasn't that flash. But that 17.9% is earnings growth expected in the results season this time next year. Solid stuff and good for equities. The other mention today is, of course politics. The headlines are getting swamped with political headlines once again as the New Hampshire primary gets going tonight in the US. DeSantis pulled out this weekend and endorsed Trump and that leaves Nikki Haley to take on Trump. The two of them, DeSantis and Haley, were splitting the vote. I've got a few details of the timeline of the Republican nomination process. It all peaks on June the 4th. March the 5th is Super Tuesday, which is when 15 states hold the equivalent of the Iowa caucus. 
So this is the, today's the New Hampshire primary vote, and that is the second state to do so. We have 50 states to come, of course. But these early votes are seen as the barometer of the Republican nomination trend, and you have to suggest, and the news wires are telling us Nikki Haley has no chance of beating Trump, in which case Trump will become, and if she is whitewashed again overnight, Trump will become the presumptive Republican nominee to take on Biden in November. It's just astonishing, isn't it? The best candidate the Democrats can come up with is Biden, really, and Trump, the Republicans, really. Anyway, Trump at least is good for business. Last time he heralded pro-business tax cuts and whilst his presidency was punctuated with volatility, unpredictability, you never knew what you were going to wake up to as a headline that pushed the stock market around each day. And it was pretty unpleasant, I've got to tell you. But never boring, and it looks like he's coming back. Other stuff today, we hold Woodside in the trading ideas portfolio. Oil price up 2.4% overnight. Woodside dragging its heels though today, but still happy to hold. Looks like there is a bit of a bottoming in the oil price. Cold weather in the US has shut in production. Disruption of supply in Ukraine and Middle East tensions all helping the oil price. Happy to be trading that. Like iron ore and coal and metal prices, the oil price is another commodity that needs to be traded, not bought and held. And Woodside's the proxy for the oil price. So holding that at the moment. Other little notes, Bitcoin hit a seven-week low. I'm wondering where that ETF approval hype has gone. We are sobering up a little bit. Just to point out, if these ETFs don't get SEC approval, Bitcoin came up from $25,000 to $47,000 and would have to go, if it went back there, it would drop 35% from here. Again, another example of how you have to sell into sentiment bubbles, that Bitcoin bubble running into the new year and buy sentiment holes, although I'm not sure I'm buying into lithium. Have a look at the lithium stocks again today. Just ugly. Over the last week, Lion Town's down 33%. Latin Resources, 25%. Tulga, which is graphite. I think Henry's selling that today, down 13% in a week. And Arafura, which is another rare earths project yet to be built down 11% over a week, down 5.4% today. It's an ugly space. We have had a discussion today wondering whether the uranium hype is going to unwind. We bought an exposure to Paladin in the growth portfolio. It was intended to be long-term, although quite honestly, no one can predict the long-term. And we are up 22% in the short-term, but it has just peaked out a little bit, the uranium hype. The uranium price still going up, so we're still holding on. Paladin recently hit a high of 89 cents down to 80 cents at the moment. A couple of strategist comments I thought were worth repeating today out of the US comments about interest rates. One says Powell risks fueling irrational exuberance. They've got a meeting coming up on in a week's time on the 31st Fed meeting on 31st of January. The stretch is saying Fed risks fueling irrational exuberance and should reiterate that he is in no rush to lower interest rates. That, of course, was the message from the ECB and a number of Fed governors over the last week and a half. Although Federal Governor Waller 
has said overnight, the worst thing we could have is if it all reverses and we've already started to cut the third Fed governor to pass the message. Don't expect rate cuts immediately. I'm not in the prediction game, but I do expect this year to be spent. Like last year, we were constantly waiting for interest rates to peak. This year, I think we're going to be constantly disappointed that the Fed and the RBA and the European Central Bank don't cut rates. It's not a terrible backdrop for equities waiting for rate cuts, but I think we will be constantly disappointed on the timing. It'll get pushed back. The chance of a rate cut in March this year is already down from 80% to 50% this year. We're sobering up from our irrational exuberance about interest rates at the end of last year. And I think if we expect the worst this year, i.e. no rate cuts, anything better than that, will be pleasing. There's a fair bit of stuff going on on the economic front this week. We've got a European Central Bank policy meeting on Thursday. We've got a Bank of Japan policy meeting today. The People's Bank of China didn't cut rates as expected on Monday. And then this week, we've also got a PCE index number, which is an inflation proxy. That's personal consumption expenditure number. That number's already come down from 2.6% from 7.1%. So getting close to the Fed's 2% inflation target. That's on Friday night. We also have PMI numbers, I think a GDP number out of the US as well this week. But all eyes on the inflation number on Friday and the European Central Bank policy meeting on Thursday where they're almost certainly going to repeat the message that there's no rate, no rush to cut rates. That's Christine Lagarde holds a press conference after the meeting. All right, that's about that. So steady as she goes, the market having a rally, big tech fueling the US market. How long does it last? The results season in the next couple of weeks could kill or fill. Right, a couple of other things. I have added a button to the member panel today called Education Suggestion. Click on that to send a suggestion of what we should cover in the podcast of an educational nature. I'm already beginning to regret putting that button in. I've had so many emails. But for the education today, let me handle this one. Should, and this is a bit of a, needs qualifying this question, but I'll give it to you as it came in the email. Should existing shareholders take up share purchase plans? Right, it's quite simple to answer. It entirely depends on what price the share purchase plan is offering shares at compared to the current market price. And you leave it till the last, not the last minute, you leave it till the last couple of days before accepting a share purchase plan and look at what the market price is and what the share purchase plan offer price is and if the offer price is below the market price, then there's obviously an incentive to take it up because you could have essentially, it's free money, you could essentially take up the share purchase plan and then sell the shares in the market, presumably or hopefully at a higher price and make some free money. Of course, the problem with that is that share purchase plans are usually scaled back. If they are obviously going to make you money, they are popular and shareholders get scaled back. So if there was a big gain to be made and you applied for, say, $15,000 worth, you probably find you only get $3,000 worth done. You'll find if the margin is narrow or if the margin is indeed negative, if you foolishly decide to buy a share purchase, stocks in a share purchase plan at a price which is higher than the current market price, which wouldn't happen because you get the volume weighted price lesser discount. But if you are getting the volume weighted average price less a small discount, the margin's so small, I don't know why you'd bother doing the admin and you shouldn't really 
bother. So do I take up a share purchase plan? Entirely depends on what the market price is and what the share purchase plan offer price is at the time. But the more attractive it is, the more you get scaled back and you end up fiddling around for a few hundred dollars doing a load of paperwork. Of course, what this question ignores is the insulting nature of share purchase plans. The reason companies offer share purchase plans is to raise a little bit more money and also to suggest to their shareholders that we care about you, when in fact what they've done in most cases is do an accelerated share issue where they have, say they're raising $110 million, they will offer $100 million worth of stock to institutions through brokers on a particular day, the day of their announcement when they've gone into a trading halt. So say the share price is a dollar and they're offering shares at 80 cents. They will offer those to all these institutions, whether they're shareholders or not. All they're trying to do is raise their 100 million as quickly as possible. They are going to take ages to do that if they do a traditional rights issue, which offers all shareholders the equal opportunity to take shares at the same price. It will cost them a whole load of admin. It won't get done for ages because of all the admin, because you have to give all the shareholders time to accept or not accept in a traditional rights issue. They don't want to do that. So what they do is they do what's called an accelerated rights issue, where they offer shares to institutions who can turn around within 24 hours because they have the systems to do it. Often the book will be run through Reuters or Bloomberg and obviously retail shareholders don't pay the 25 grand to have one of those terminals and wouldn't have wouldn't be given access to the book building process at the back of those software packages anyway. But the institutions do and so they can raise $100 million in a day by offering it to institutions. How do they get institutions to take it even if they're not shareholders? Even if those shareholders or those institutions don't like the stock, how do they get them to take it? They offer them a discount. So say they offer shares at $0.80 when the share price in the market is at $1.00. What then happens is that when the share price starts trading again, immediately some of those institutions sell the stock into the market and lock in a profit. So if the share price comes back on at 90 cents, they're selling the shares, they're buying at 80 cents and locking in a, what's that, 10, 11, 12% profit. Money for old rope. Money for being an institution, for being a wholesale investor with access to a book building facility and for being on the call list of whichever major broker is doing the capital raising. Of course, the net result is that retail shareholders get royally rooted. And the first opportunity you get to buy shares at that price is through a share purchase plan, which will be some months later after the share price has been absolutely trashed. And the first opportunity you have to respond to the accelerated share issue is after the share price has been slaughtered by the institutions taking short-term profits. The inequity of this structure has been the subject of many columns. I remember, was it Graham Hand at First Links kicking up dust about it some years ago? Or was it Morningstar? I think he was at Morningstar at the time. But still it goes on. And the afterthought of a share purchase plan to me is almost an insult to existing retail shareholders that we have offered stock to a bunch of institutions, whether they were shareholders or not. We have given them the opportunity to 
flog your share price and flog the shares we gave them at a discount at a profit. And now we're going to offer you the same opportunity after the share price has been flogged. This doesn't make a jot of difference, of course, to whether you take up a share purchase plan, because that entirely depends on what the share price is you're being offered stock at compared to the share price in the market. But it is a market inequity that continues to this day. And it is a very good reason for shareholders, retail shareholders, to be shy of stocks that look like they might raise capital because the discounted shares will not be offered to retail shareholders until the share price has been destroyed. It's another reason to avoid the volatility of individual stocks and look to something like ETFs, which we are successfully at the moment using to time the market. It's a good reason to avoid individual stocks, which is a growing trend at the moment and why ETFs have become much more popular. The older you get, the less or more risk averse you get, the more attractive ETFs become, the less attractive individual stocks become. I don't know how many of you remember Sam Femus, who used to work with me, told me a story of going to the Berkshire Hathaway AGM and meeting a bunch of US brokers and introducing himself as a broker from Australia. And the response from one of the US stockbrokers was, oh, you're probably still dealing in individual shares, aren't you? And charging a commission. That's so 1990s. In other words, the US brokers had moved towards ETFs as their means of managing client wealth. They were making a few decisions a year rather than constant stock decisions. And they weren't chasing commissions on individual trades anymore. They were chasing a percentage fee for managing clients' money through ETFs. Anyway, capital raisings something to be avoided for retail shareholders. And just to tell you, if you see a no earnings resources stock have a share price rally, even if it's over a couple of months, you can guarantee whether they'll do it or not, but you can guarantee there are five brokers, corporate departments ringing that company up saying, if you want to raise capital, now is the time. So if there is a resources stock which has no earnings, does regular capital raisings, is still in the exploration stage and its share price jumps 20% in a month, think about taking a profit because... (laughs) that is the time they will do a capital raising. So there's a long-winded answer to to the question, do I take a share purchase plan? It could have been phrased a number of ways. And I might have phrased the question, what do I do when I've been rooted by an accelerated share issue in a stock I hold and now I'm being insulted by being offered a share purchase plan? There you go. Bit of education for the day. As I leave you, market folding up a little bit. We are up 30, having been up 50 dropped 20 points in the last 10 minutes. Did something happen? I'm not sure. Energy sector, surprisingly, considering the 2.4% rise in the oil price. Energy sector, the worst performing sector today, along with the gold sector and consumer staples and consumer discretionary. Defensive stocks up a bit. Healthcare the best as CSL rises 1%. Financials continue to kick along. Resources being left behind a little bit, but still up. And Macquarie, the leader in the top 20, up 2.2% 
irritating me as we don't hold it in our one stock portfolio. Zip down 6.8% today. Arafura Graphite down 5.4%. Patriot Battery constantly hyped by a broker looking for a corporate deal down 4.9% today. Karoon Energy down 4.6% today. They've lowered their Brazilian production guidance for this year. Was reading a bunch of stuff about nickel stocks at the weekend. You wouldn't want to be in the nickel industry at the moment. Nickel price halved last year. The clean nickel produced in Australia holds no attraction relative to the dirty nickel produced in Indonesia. It seems buyers of nickel don't care whether you are ESG compliant or not. Australians think there should be a two-tier pricing for nickel. Nickel produced in a responsible manner and nickel produced in Indonesia. Anyway, destroyed by Indonesian nickel production this year after Indonesia declared they are not allowed to export iron, sorry, not iron, nickel ore, and so have started refining with funding from Russia and China and consequently destroying the Australian nickel producers. And there we go. Market behavior itself still fully invested wondering whether the short-term rally is sustainable you have a good day i'll be back tomorrow with more answers to your education suggestion